Hey, this is Matt McClure here, one of the lead pastors here at Takeover Church. Thank you so much for checking out this message today. We hope it encourages you. We hope it blesses you. And just a reminder, we have got services every single Sunday at 5 p.m. And we would love to have the chance to meet you, to hear your story, and to welcome you home. Thanks again for listening today. Hope this message blesses you. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I know I'm not Hugh Jackman, but this is the moment you've been waiting for. It, that's a greatest showman reference. Anyways, uh, all month long right now, we couldn't think of a better way to start off 2K19. We had a betting pool going last week. Not really, because, you know, betting in church. Read the Gospels, you'll find out about it. But we were making jokes about it. We were saying 2019 a lot last service, so I know Kelsey just brought it up. But we're going to keep the ball rolling. But the best way to start off 2019, we thought, was to have a series where you got to hear from a lot of different voices in church, from different walks of life, from different backgrounds, some pastors, some not, some people who have have a lot to offer you from a very foundational place of our faith. So we kicked off 2019 with a series called Voices, and our very own Dave Vining tore the house down last week. And we're not going to reveal the uh, the next two following tonight's special guest, but we do have two people that you have never heard from in this capacity uh, over the next couple of weeks. So tonight, to continue on the vining trend, is our very own, the hostile apostle himself, I'm kidding, but we are Rusty Vining bringing the word tonight. <laughs> Okay, but you have to do me a solid. I have forgotten, and we haven't done it. We ain't done high fives, and like we haven't done high fives since November. So you gotta, you just carry it on. All right, everybody knows what time it is. If you've been at Takeover, I'm uh, security. Uh. Uh. All right, everybody on your feet. We're gonna put 30 seconds on the imaginary clock, and you need to go through this room and give as many high fives as humanly possible. Go one, two. Three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, twenty, twenty-one, twenty-two, twenty-three, twenty-four, twenty-five. 26, 27, 28, 29, 30. Bam, bam, bam. Another one. All right. Well, playtime's over. Everybody get ready for the word. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> I'm just kidding. It's good to be in church and have a good time, right? Yes. All right, cool. Hey, thanks again uh, for giving me the honor and privilege of speaking to y'all tonight. It's kind of weird, like, doing it this much because, like, I went for probably, like, the first, what, six or seven months without really doing that and then um, preached one random time and then had, like, a few-month window and didn't do it. And then, like, now this is my third time doing it in, like, a month, so that's kind of fun for me. Hopefully it's good for y'all. Um, but yeah, I really appreciate the honor to to uh, share what the Lord has put on my heart. I have a, ru <coughs> a rule 
Sorry, that was really weird. I have a rule um, for myself, and I know my dad probably also abides by this. It's probably a family thing um, and one that I'm grateful for. I don't open my Bible to make a point. I never open the Word to make a point. I open the Word to know God. And so when I preach, I don't really have to necessarily try super hard to extrapolate um, the right material to entertain people and to make some sort of theological claim. What I'm actually doing is just sharing with you what the Lord's been speaking to me, and I'm going to open up my heart and show you some of the areas of my life that the Lord is working on, and hopefully it's beneficial to you, because I think that's the meaning of the scripture when Paul says to confess your sins one to another so that healing may come. And when he says to bear one another's burdens, I believe that that is the meaning of the gospel. Do you agree with me? So we got enough preachers out there trying to make points and trying to sell books. That's not what we do here. So this is how we're going to do. Is that good with everybody? All right. So let's let's pray and then let's get into the word. Sound good? All right. Jesus, thank you for um, the gift of life through your, your blood and your body shed and broken for us. Thank you for the laughter that comes with being uh, reborn in you. The, the, the joy and the peace and the patience and the kindness and the goodness and the faithfulness and the gentleness, all of the fruits of your spirit at work in us so that, um, so that you can be glorified and so that it's understood that you use the things that are foolish in the eyes of the world to shame the wise, that you use the weak things of the world to shame the strong, and that you do it all for your glory. And we just thank you for making us a part of that. Thank you that you created us with intention, with purpose, with love in mind, and for no other purpose than to uh, be absorbed into oneness with you in, in, in your oneness with, with the Father and the Spirit. And we just pray these things in your precious name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. If you love the Lord, maybe make some noise for that prayer right there because that is the foundation. I just feel like sometimes, man, I, I, I retain a good word, I retain a, a moment, you know, a scripture or whatever, and um, culturally it's not what a lot of us grew up with, but like sometimes I just read my Bible and I do, it would be more appropriate to just say, yes, Lord, you know what I'm saying, because it's like, it's good news, right? And so when you've gone your whole life hearing bad news, sometimes good news should elicit an emotional response from you, correct? All right. So that's where I'm coming from tonight. We're going to read some scripture. How about that? Anybody got a Bible on them? Oh, yeah. All right. Some of y'all got Bibles. That's good. Some of y'all got Steve Jobs Bibles. That's good. Um, some of y'all got Androids. We'll pray for y'all. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just using Matt's jokes. I wanted to see what it felt like. <laughs> I, pro I, I probably won't do it again. Um, so we're coming out of 1 Corinthians 2 tonight. I'll give y'all five seconds to turn to it, and then I'm going to trust that the Spirit will get you there. All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And when I came to you, brothers, I didn't come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in a demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in wisdom of men, but in the power of God. That's a good word, right? Because I, I think I've been through a lot of years of church where I was kind of trained in the wisdom of men. 
but I don't know that I really was ever trained in the wisdom of God in, in a lot of my spiritual experiences when I was younger. Anybody relate to that? Anybody relate to the experience of being in church and... Um, you might have walked away with some really practical stuff that might help your marriage or might help you get a job or be more wise with your finances and all this stuff. And not that any of that's bad, but I reached a certain age where I started to wonder, what am I getting from church that I couldn't get from NPR? And I, I walked away at a certain age uh, from services thinking, is this really what Jesus died for? Did he die for me to just like have a slightly better marriage where we communicate uh, with the knowledge of each other's love languages a little better, where we know how to scratch each other's itches, where we know how to, um, where we know how to, how to run our hustle in an ethical way so that we can uh, apply our finances well and have a good 401k and all that stuff. Is, is that really what Jesus bled every ounce of blood in his body for? Was for, for, a, for a life that doesn't scratch below the surface of how I'm doing in the, in the physical realm. And so I started to get conflicted about that. And um, I think there's a, there's a thing that a lot of us do is, is especially prevalent in like our age demographic, people my age, um, somewhere around 30 and in that 10 year window between 30. Um, we're deconstructionists. We like to find out what doesn't work because we have a world full of options available to us and we have a lot of people uh, trying to snatch our vote, trying to snatch our money trying to get our minds. They want our labor. They want our creativity. They want our gifts. And they'll do anything they can, um, even if it means that they have to provide a little something that makes our quality of life better in exchange for it. They will get it. And so we're used to finding out exactly the right thing for me, whether it's the clothing I'm wearing, the food I'm eating, the car I'm driving, the type of person I want to date. Um, everything comes with options. And, and it's all up to me. Like, what do I want? And um, it's a very, very discouraging way to build faith. Because um, this is just something that's been on my mind. I don't know if it's really part of the sermon or not. It definitely ties in. But I've been thinking about a lot of my friends who have issues with Jesus or, or with Scripture. And I've been thinking about the fact that a lot of them have read the Bible. And, 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 and it's produced questions. It's produced um, quandaries, contradictions, oxymorons, whatever you want to call them. Crises of faith. And it's in those moments that I'm starting to realize um, I don't think the issue is with the material. And that's not meant to be mean because I've, I've gone through my deconstructionist period coming out of that upbringing of the shallow faith of, of my formers in some of the traditions I was brought up in. It's obvious that the emotional response and the physical response to that would be deconstruction. What was good about it? What was bad about it? Do we throw everything out or just some things? But the problem with it is, is that 
we we've had a lot of years of Christians telling us uh, um, trying to answer our questions and as though that that's what's keeping people from Jesus is their questions but the reality is your questions are not what's keeping you from Jesus it's it's disobedience and that's what the Lord spoke to me he told me your issue isn't that you don't understand is that I won't um, answer the questions that you have your issue is that you won't surrender to me and I was thinking about it more and it's it's kind of like this if you if a thing is made with a specific purpose and you don't use it that way that's on you this guitar in the hands of the right person under the right circumstances I could could potentially be used as a weapon right like you could probably use it to hurt somebody to do physical harm to them but that's not its purpose right it's made to make music art to elevate people to lift people up to bring people together but some foolish person who has no desire to make music that takes it into their hands is free to do whatever they want with it and I believe that the Bible is the same way because if you read the Bible to have your questions answered you may be disappointed because that's not its purpose I believe that there are answers to some of your questions that you will encounter by reading the Bible but the purpose of the Bible is to know God so my dad talked last week about we got to read our Bibles we have to apply ourselves to the act of surrender which means I don't want to read it to just to know it I want to read it to become it this is called the living word this is the living word center that we are in that is prophetic that has a meaning everything we do has a meaning we are in the living word center because the word dwelt among us in flesh and his name was Jesus so let's take all of these things into account and let's open our Bibles with tonight with the intention that I am I am reading this word so that I can know the heart of God and whatever the heart of God is is what I will become and is what I need to be it's not about God what is Paul talking about when he says that you know like women should cut their hair or whatever it's like miss me with all that like yes there are some things in the Bible that you need context for that you need understanding for that you might have to learn a little history at times we might have to be a little scholarly but I believe that in the spirit is where you get your answers because you just like you wouldn't approach a guitar without any learning in music to know what you're supposed to do with it you wouldn't approach the word without utilizing the tool that God gave you which is the Holy Spirit so how is it you expect to get understanding for the things that you have questions about if you're not willing to ask the person with the answers so this is what the Lord's been speaking to me about how to read my Bible and like I said I don't open it to make a point to write a sermon I open it to know him and these are the beautiful things that I believe he'll teach us when we come to him to know him to actually know him not to just know what's right 
so that I can so that I can level up on my Christianity, you know? <laughs> That's actually very damaging to you. I want to encourage anyone who's done that, don't do that. Because you're actually, you're actually accountable for the things you read. You're accountable before God for the knowledge that you're acquiring. But if you're doing it with the wrong intent, you're actually bringing trouble on yourself. And it, and it, will, it will backfire. <laughs> um, so... That's a sidebar, but in this passage, Paul is writing in context to the Corinthians, and um, stop me if this sounds familiar, but they're, they're a group of new believers, they're a church that has formed with a lot of excitement, they've got banging worship services, people are speaking in languages they've never heard before and um, prophesying things that are coming to pass. There's miracles, signs and wonders. People are laying hands on the sick and they're recovering. Some of the towns, they're even, um, you know, uh, raising dead people back to life. Like, like Kelsey read, there's these amazing acts of the Spirit that are happening. And then they start to um, form into groups in, in Corinth. And there's other church leaders um, that are preaching the word. There's Paul, there's Apollos, there's all these other guys. Um, and basically people start to be like, dude, that Paul guy can really like drop bars. Like he's got some good things to say. And then they're like, but Apollos, nah man, Apollos is where it's at. Like if you heard Apollos' new track, he just like burned Paul. Like he let him know what, I don't actually know, they were probably good friends, but I <laughs> But yeah, so they start to form these groups, right? And they're like, yo, I'm like an Apollos dude, and I'm like a Paul dude. And then they're like, I don't know, I'm a, like a Chad dude, whatever. There's probably other names that were less weird. But um, so they start to form into these groups, and then there starts to be a couple little things where they're like, so y'all are into like all these Gentiles that we got coming into church? Um, y'all are into like, they kind of got a level up their Jewishness in order to hang with us, right? Like, they gotta get, they gotta get circumcised, they gotta do all this stuff, they gotta stop eating certain foods, right? And then the other folks are like, no, nah, man, like, Jesus, man, like, Jesus makes all things new, so, like, that includes everything else, like, come on, guys, you ought to know this. So, there's some disagreements and some factions, and, you know, the signs and wonders start to be a little less common, and, um, people actually start getting in arguments <laughs> and they start to stop hanging out together and now they're just hanging out with other people who think like them and look like them. And so, yeah, if any of this sounds familiar, just let me know. But um, they're in like a really weird place and that's when Paul's writing this and he says that when he came to them, He's kind of taking them back and trying to remind them, like, you know, when I came to you, like, what was it that you think I said? Like, how did you get this out of what I said? And I wonder sometimes on a Sunday if that's how Jesus feels. Like, if he looks at what we're doing in this country and thinks, Did this? Like, this is what... This is what I died, like, this is what you heard from the Sermon on the Mount. Really? Cool. Um... Sorry, I'm just, <laughs> you know, can't help myself. But, but the thing is, it's in my heart, too. So he's looking at my heart, too, and he's seeing the same thing. Um, 
But that's what Paul's writing into. And he says, when I came to you, I came not with um, per persuasive words and the wisdom of men and a display of all of my vast theological knowledge. He's like, that's not how I did it. He's like, but I came to you with fear and trembling and a demonstration of the Spirit's power. And that, that hit me in a weird place this week as I was reading it. The Lord directed me to this passage and I was reading it. And a thing that stood out to me at first, of course, was the Spirit's power. I was like, yeah, come on, Jesus. Like, let's do it. We're going to have people like getting saved and falling out and it's going to be amazing. I love, and don't get me, I love, I love that. I love it. I love it because I believe in healing. I believe in miracles, signs and wonders. I believe therefore right now, right this minute, I believe that um, the day of salvation is today. Every time we preach, I believe hearts are drawn to Jesus because that's just what the Lord does. And, I, and I'm, not, I'm not in any way throwing water on that fire. But the thing that the Lord brought to my attention was the fear and the trembling. Because I was confused. Because I see Paul preaching some really bold stuff. I see him uh, telling those people who thought that circumcision was really important, well, why don't you just cut everything off then and just go all the way? And like, I'm sorry, it's in the Bible. That's just what it says. But... And I see him like getting real up in people's faces about like, don't you dare put the, put the weight of the law back on these people. Like they've been set free in Christ and he's an OG. Like he comes through town and just lets them know like this is how life in Christ is. But then he says that he came to these people with fear and trembling. And, I, and I'm drawn back for a second because I saw miracles, signs and wonders in the life of Paul. But I I haven't really looked into the fear and trembling. And then I thought to myself, have I experienced a lot of power? And the most power I've ever experienced in my spiritual journey as a Christian um, these past 20-something 20 20 years, the most power I've ever experienced consistently has been here in this group, in this community. The power of God is allowed to flow because this is an atmosphere where cynicism is not allowed to, to stifle it and where fear is not given the reins to hold us back. So this is a community that believes in the power of God and you will experience it here, I promise. But I, I asked myself, why, why wasn't that the norm in the communities I grew up in? Where, what happened? Who, who turned off the power? And, and, and that was, that became sort of my, my primary question for this sermon. My sermons are usually questions. The title of tonight's sermon is Who Turned Off the Power? Because I was thinking, where, do, where does the power come from? Because we know that the power comes from the Holy Spirit. That's the correct answer. And we know that Jesus said, it's better that I go because then the Comforter will come. And he said that um, when he told the disciples to go out and to raise the dead and to lay hands on sick people and to cast out devils, he said that even greater things than he did during his lifetime, we would do. Those are, those are things from the Bible. So the power comes from the Spirit. But then why didn't I see it? Because I was told that these were believers and when a person 
gives their life to Jesus, he gives them the Holy Spirit. But I think it's completely up to you what you want to do with it. Because I can give you this guitar, but it's your choice what you want to do with it. Do you want to do harm, or do you want to do good with it? Do you want to learn to play it properly, or do you want to just make a bunch of racket with it? And I didn't learn how to use the Spirit. And I also didn't know where to look, how to ask. Um, I think that one of the biggest oppositions that I was taught is I was taught from the wisdom of men and not from the wisdom of God. Because Paul said, I came with a demonstration of the Spirit's power and I didn't come with the wisdom of men. I was taught, do better and you'll be better. I was taught, know the right answers and you're good with God. But honestly, my experience with God since I've grown closer to Him has been that the answer is barely ever the answer. Like the answer is barely ever the goal with God, right? The process is usually the goal. That God cares so much less about turning out a product and more about transforming a process and transforming a soul. Because he's more willing to walk it out with you than you are with yourself sometimes. And I was taught also a gospel that was contrary to the actual gospel of Christ, which is the gospel of self-sufficiency and the gospel of fear. Because I was taught that eventually if I were a good enough Christian, I wouldn't need certain things, you know? I wouldn't need to... I wouldn't need to walk to an altar if I was good with God. I wouldn't need to have a heart-to-heart -heart about something I'm going through if I attained the right level of spiritual maturity. I would eventually level up to a place where I'm good. And, I'm not, and, and it's like, that's how we do everything in our culture, right? Like, we'll teach you, we'll walk with you for a little while, but eventually, like we expect you to just kind of be okay. Like, even trauma, serious, life-damaging traumas, we think, we'll give her or him two months, three. But then it's like, okay, they're still calling into work. It's about time they got over that, you know? And that's the way we've treated faith as well. That's the way we've treated our relationship with God. So it's like, God, I'm here on my knees weeping again, and I, I messed up. I should have. And then it's all these, I should have. I should have been this. I should have been this. And it's not helpful. It's not going to help you be a more righteous person to know all of the things you should have done. Um, you probably knew them to begin with. So that's not the problem. And I think that this is one of the hardest things that we have to overcome in church circles is this idea of self-reliance. That the goal is to make you the kind of person who doesn't need anything from anyone. Because I said it in my last sermon, and I'll say it again, even Jesus had 12 dudes that he brought with him everywhere. So... If Jesus Christ himself needed to be in community and even he has the presence of the Father constantly with him, which is what we're all supposed to have, 
if he needs that, then how is it that we think we can pull ourselves up by our spiritual bootstraps? It doesn't work for our economy and it doesn't work for our souls either. So, I feel like we need to tackle that. We need to realize our dependency not only on people, because we are dependent on one another, and community is something we preach hardcore here, and that's why. But we need to admit our dependency on God's Spirit. And we need to come to Him. I need to come to Him like a hundred times a day, to be honest. I need to constantly be asking Him, God, I need more of you right now. I, I can't face this situation without you. I need to know what it is you want to say, what it is you want to do. Like, I need to stay filled up. I need to stay in communion with him. That's why Paul says to pray without ceasing, because he knows we're always going to need to position our hearts. He also had the reality that he was the chief of sinners, man. Like, that was the thing he said. He said, I'm the chief of sinners. And then he preached against condemnation. So, he told us in another passage to approach the throne of grace with confidence. And then he said that he came with fear and trembling. This is a man full of contradictions, am I right? Like, come on, let's be real. This is a man that seems to be like bipolar, for lack of a better term, you know? Like, he probably did have some serious mental stuff going on. He was a murderer who became a, a, an evangelist. Like, if we saw him in our modern context, we might think this man's a little unstable. So, I look at that in my own life, and I think, where's the power, right? Because the original question is, who turned off the power? And the power for Paul that led him to say things like, boldly approach the throne of grace with confidence, and that led him to say things like, there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ, when he also acknowledged that he was the chief of sinners, and that he had fear and trembling before God, that confidence came from that time of fear and trembling. That is something that the Lord is teaching me, is that I cannot turn the power back on unless I go to work and get some money so I can pay the utilities. Let me try to rephrase that in less of a metaphor. I can't turn the power on unless I'm willing to engage the fear and trembling. And the fear and trembling doesn't come from thinking that God is going to destroy me or punish me. That's condemnation. The fear and trembling comes from knowing I don't have any right to be here. The fear and trembling is a heart position that leads to humility. Self-hatred and denial of God's power at work in you is not humility. Humility is saying, God, I have absolutely no right to be here, but I thank you that you have chosen me among the, the, the brokenness and the hurt in my world that you have delighted to live in me and that you choose to use me as a vessel of your peace every single day, that you shine through me in a world full of darkness and there's nothing I can do to stop it. God, I surrender to who you say I am. God, on my own, I will fail. God, 
I am a man in need of your grace. That is the fear and trembling that I believe we're seeing in the gospel, is an awareness of the richness of who God is, the fullness of who God is, and the appropriate response when confronted with the most powerful being in all of existence, and knowing that that being desires to have this one-on-one -on -one conversation with you, the most appropriate response is to do what the elders in the throne room in the book of Revelation do. Fall flat on your face. Get down on the ground and acknowledge worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive honor, glory, and power. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. These words flow out of my spirit when I look at God correctly, when I see him for who he is in all his glory, in all his majesty. I can't imagine sitting quietly with my hands folded and thinking like, I sure hope God meets all of my demands today. It's wrong. It's idiotic. And it's harmful. It, it, it's religion and it will destroy you because it doesn't care about you. It needs you to survive. It feeds off your unawareness. And it is a trap of the devil. And he may print the Lord's name on the outside of the building, but don't be deceived who's the one running the show. And I am... I'm not preaching this word to say that that's us. So don't get it twisted. We're, um, this isn't a correction on takeover. I'm just saying this is what we were taught. This is the wisdom of the world that trained us. This is not the wisdom of God. This is not the display of the Spirit's power. This is the opposite. This is a trap that the devil loves to take something that's beautiful and amazing and has potential and turn it completely upside down. And I believe we're afraid to engage God for who he really is. It's fine when I feel like he exists to meet my needs. And it's fine when I feel like he exists to do my bidding, to, to hear my list of demands on the daily, to fix the people in my world that make the world an unpleasant place to live when he's here to fix the other political party, to fix the other employees at work, to fix, you know, the partner in, in my relationship that isn't me. It's fine when he wants to do that because none of that has anything to do with me. But when I have to engage him one-on-one -on -one and all I have is what I bring to the table, I very quickly realize that I don't have any rights here except for the blood of Jesus, speaking better things on my behalf. So the only logical response for me in that moment is to surrender to it. To say, Jesus, I will take your words when you say, deny myself, take up my cross, and follow you. My choices are clear. I can either continue to live in the deception of religion and believe that you're here to serve me, or I can die to myself and become filled with the Spirit's power. Those are the two options. The 
gospel was never supposed to be pick and choose, and there weren't supposed to be a bunch of different, you know, 23 Dr. Pepper flavors of Christianity. There's one. It's a very simple one. But it requires us to engage fear and trembling because it will open up things that we're trying to close. And it will bring things to the light that we're trying to hide in darkness. But my encouragement to us all is that we needn't fear the light. We should not be afraid of the very thing we were made for. Because the light will expose you. It has exposed me. I have no secrets. There's no way I can hide from who I am. The things I've done, people know about. The things I've said, I've had to own up to. It will expose you, but it will also save you. It will save you from living in your own darkness and ignorance. Because without living in daily surrender to the light of Jesus that is often uncomfortable. I preached about that at Christmas. The light is often uncomfortable. It tears at the very fabric of what I'm trying to construct in my own image. At times it will be uncomfortable. But it's also the thing that will heal you. And the Lord desires so much more for every son and daughter in this room to welcome you into the light, to save you from the darkness. Because the darkness doesn't require anything of you, so it seems like the better route. And the light requires us to lay everything down. But I would rather live with the knowledge of the way things really are. I would rather not be lied to my whole life. I would rather live in truth. If the entire universe is built on a lie, I'd rather know about it than continue to live in, the, in a world made of a lie just because I've built some kind of nice things out of this lie. There are so many examples in your Bibles, if you read them, of people who engaged the Lord in fear and trembling and it empowered them to do amazing things outside of the fear and trembling. It gave them a confidence to take down giants, to engage the Lord face to face. Moses came down from the mountain and his face was shining so much that people couldn't stand to look at him. And Peter spent so much time before the Lord on his face aware of who, what God had done in his life that he walked with so much swagger that people would stand in his shadow and get healed from their sicknesses. <laughs> the Apostle Paul performed miracles, signs, and wonders in front of kings. But not one of those people had the audacity to approach God with demands. And if they don't get a free pass, neither do I. Because who am I? Am I any better? Am I any worse? I'm just a person. We're all just people. And if we can engage that fear and trembling, it's such a beautiful thing.
the Lord gave me this analogy because the word fear always tripped me up for a long time. He said, it's like when you meet a famous person. I don't know how many people have had the pleasure of meeting someone that you either look up to or is famous. So we've all at least met somebody that we admire. There is a definite sense of fear when you meet that person, correct? Do you actually think that that person has the power to destroy you? Like they will physically kill you? <laughs> I mean, depending on who your hero is, maybe, but... You don't actually fear that this person is going to send you to the nether regions of hell. But you're afraid. And you love them. You respect them. They're like one of the, your favorite people. The Lord said this is how... This is how a healthy fear looks. Because the Lord intends us no harm. Especially when we come to Him in humility. But it's proper that we should have some trepidation about the one who we're speaking to. Because He is far superior to our celebrities and to our heroes on this earth. He deserves a little bit of thought about what manner we're walking into his presence in. You know, if I'll dress up and put on a nice shirt to meet a musician that I admire, the Lord deserves something from me. And I'm not saying that we have to wear suits to church. What I'm saying is we have to clean up our hearts. It's not about scrubbing the outside of the cup. It's about the inside. And I'm not... I have a history of not being willing to do the work of cleaning the inside before I come to him. Or not even desiring to have the inside cleaned. I want him to clean the outside so that I'm good to go. So I can walk in my calling and my gifts. If the Lord gives me the ability to shred on the guitar, gives me some halfway decent clothes and like an okay head of hair, then I'm probably good to walk in my calling, Lord, and now I'm ready to be a worship pastor. And the Lord said, no, you need to clean the inside of the cup. And so that fear and trembling piece is intimidating to us because it will crush, it will crush us at some point. It will take us down a notch on, on evaluating ourselves as more than we ought to. But it's also the, the perfect place for God to fill us with his spirit. Because he said, I came with fear and trembling and a demonstration of the Spirit's power. And I believe that the reason I didn't see the power growing up is I saw a bunch of people who never trembled before God. And I saw a bunch of people who were too afraid to open their hearts to what God really had to say to them. And they loved religion because it didn't require anything of them. They could punch their time card on a Sunday and feel like they were good and they were going to heaven. And that was, the, that was the deception of my own heart. And we're not exempt. Even if we've moved on from our theology, we're not exempt from it. We create these situations because human beings get roped into being self-centered. And so we don't, you know, have a lot of hang-ups here, hopefully. I don't see them, so I don't believe they're here in faith. But... <laughs> We don't necessarily requ require people to look a certain way or to act a certain way when they come in, but we definitely have our own hang-ups. We definitely have our own legalisms, our own prejudices. And so, 
we need to be careful not to be deceived into those things. We need to engage the Lord in fear and trembling. God says that his strength is made perfect in our weakness. That's in the writings of Paul, but that's actually what God said to him, not the other way around. And I thought that that was really meaningful too, that God told this guy with this amazing gift of speaking and prophecy and healing, he said, actually, it's your weakness that makes my strength perfect. He takes people with all the skills and all the gifts, puts those in them, and then says, now it's what you do without those that makes you qualified. It's your, it's your basicness that makes you qualified to receive my grace. <laughs> and I think that that is the heart of the gospel that we need. We need that in our city, in our, in our country, in our homes. In our weakness, his strength is made perfect. So let's not be afraid to bear those weaknesses. Let's not be afraid to show them to one another. And let's not be afraid to open them up to the Lord in fear and trembling. Because yes, we come to him with trepidation. Yes, we come to him with fear and trembling and awe and reverence for our God is a consuming fire and everything he touches gets burnt to an ash because that's his nature. Yes, that's real, but it's also an altar. And from that altar comes a living sacrifice. And it's a new life. And that's the meaning of you must be born again. And so this is the gospel. It's good news, isn't it? It's good news. So I'm going to invite the band to come back up here. And we're going to worship our way out of this one. But um, a closing remark... I want to read I want to read one more scripture. I like to let the word kind of have the last word. Among the mature we do impart wisdom, although it's not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and a hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, because if they had, they wouldn't have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen nor ear has heard, the heart of man, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. There is a wisdom that the Spirit is willing to give, but it only comes from realizing our proper place. It only comes from receiving the kingdom like a child. Children don't have... Children don't have the same prejudices and hang-ups that we do. They're not looking for me to prove my goodness to them. They want to play. They want to be creative. They want to know they're safe and loved. And the Father has all of those things to offer you. He is willing. That is his heart. But he cannot give it to you if you insist on being so grown up. And he cannot give it to us if we're afraid to be overwhelmed by how big he is when he lifts us up and puts us on his shoulders. If we're not willing to cry like a child when we're faced with the mightiness of our God. 
if we're not willing to tremble a little bit and feel like, wow, my father's insane. He's so safe, but so big. This song is full of power. It's full of prophetic statements. And I believe it's God's heart for us. And I believe it's God's desire to turn a page in our lives from being people who walk away from those inclinations and longings of our heart that the Spirit gives us to being people who turn and look directly into the fire that is the Spirit. This song is called Hosanna. And what I want to invite you to do is I want to invite you to stand. I want you to invite you to lift your hands. And in the middle of this song while you're worshiping, I don't know if you're just going to shout. I don't know if you're just going to have a quiet prayer in your heart. But I want to invite you to come to God and see Him high and lifted up, shining in the light of all of His glory. Because I believe that there is a power that He's desiring to pour out. So let's worship. Thank you. 